1: Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.
0: Hello, friends. Do you want to know how Tupperware works all over again? Well, You're in the right spot because it is throwback time to May 28th, 2015. How Tupperware works. This is a good one.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And there's Jerry. So this is Stuff You Should Know. Burp. Have you ever heard a Tupperware burp?
0: Yeah, sort of. I mean, it it, it you know it doesn't sound like a burp. It's just sort of like...
1: Can you emulate
0: one? Well, it's just sort of like, a, like air, just sort of... It doesn't sound like a burp. It sounds like a toot. A <laughs> yeah,
1: something different. Yeah, but I don't think you could call it a Tupperware a fart because it probably wouldn't sell as much. <laughs> well, even a burp is a little, you know. Yeah. Okay, so I guess I have heard one before when I was a kid, but I thought like there was like a burp or something like that. No. Or Do you remember that cartoon? Uh, it might have been like a, what was the, oh, Droopy. I think it might have been a Droopy cartoon. Yeah, folks. Some, some sort that of Tex Avery cartoon. Yeah. Where like they had a machine that burped radishes. Burp, 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 burp. <laughs> I that, but I like it. It was a, gr- I think it was like the Kitchen of the Future one. Uh-huh. Great cartoon. Wow. Burp, burp, burp. That's what I assumed the Tupperware thing was like. Yeah, I was a big droopy fan. So I thought I was missing out.
0: Nope. No. It's just a little air being expelled. But
1: it was a very, very important bit of air. Sure. Because, Chuck, at the time that Tupperware came out, women were using, like, basically a pot that they cooked something in, maybe a bowl. Yeah. And putting a shower cap over it yeah. and storing it in the ice box. Yeah, you know what they call that? Primitive. Yeah, that's primitive food storage.
0: Yeah, it sounds like uh, Tuk Tuk would have done something like that. Not <laughs> not right. men and women in the 1940s.
1: Right. Except he would have used like some sort of Madagascar type animal pelt. Sure. From the movie Madagascar. No, not Madagascar. Ice <laughs> Age. That's what I'm thinking of. Ice Age. I haven't seen either one, so I they're don't know. very similar. It's set in like different climes and different gotcha. time periods. I've never seen them either. I, different
0: animal protagonists.
1: I just I can get a lot from commercials. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, hear you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Tupperware. Let's let's talk about it. Um, the original patent. I love the name of this thing. And uh, you know, it was created. You want to drop this cool little fact? By the na- the name of the guy, Earl Tupper. Yeah,
1: never knew that. Yeah, I guess I didn't either. You I didn't, just didn't think about it. No, you think of Tupperware as nothing but Tupperware, and there's yeah. no Tupper who invented it. It's crazy talk. Right. Yeah, no, there was a Tupper named Earl, and that Tupper, tu- Tupperware. Yes, the
0: Earl of Tupper. <laughs> he uh, he has a patent um, called, well, had. He doesn't have it anymore. Uh, the E.S. Tupper open mouth container and non-snap type of closure,
1: therefore. <laughs> this is 1947, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I read it like that. Right.
0: But uh, yeah. I was
1: explaining that to the everybody else. Oh, they know me? This is going
0: poorly. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so, um, let's. You want to talk a little bit about Tupper himself?
1: Yeah, he um, was a bit of a reclusive figure, as yeah. we'll find. But he was also like a he was a pretty sharp guy. A, a, a grouch, I think, is a possible way to describe him. Maybe a bit of a a, a mad, smart, tinkering grouch. Yeah. Um, he disliked his father because he felt his father lacked ambition, and this is when he was, like, 10. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> All you do is just go to the races and lay around. He Well, his parents owned, a, like, a farm of sorts, but I think I, I get the idea. It was, like, kind of a harvest-your-own farm. And this kid, little Earl Tupper, when he was, like, 10, 11, 12, he was, like, pitching the idea to to build, like, a children's playground yeah. on the grounds of this pick-your-own farm for, you know, to attract tourists and stuff, and his dad was, like, Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so just go to school or something, get out of my hair. Pipe down. And Earl was like, oh, you're going to pay for ignoring me. Yeah. But he, he was of a, a sharp contrast to his father is what I'm trying to say. He was um, very ambitious. Sure. Big tinker, Came up with a lot of different patent ideas and apparently patents too.
0: Yeah. He, uh, he had a book of inventions uh, that there was a better stocking garter. Which is a very sexy thing for a child to invent, <laughs> right? Um, a,
1: a better way to remove a burst appendix,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for real. Um, a dagger shaped comb to be clipped to the belt, um, pants that wouldn't lose their crease. Um, this one are of
1: great import,
0: yeah. The customized cigarettes—I can't believe that didn't catch on. Like for real, you know how Coca-Cola does those uh, stupid. Cans and bottles now with names oh, on
1: Oh, now I understand.
0: Yeah, there were cigarettes that said, like, sporty or the collegiate on the cigarette. Gotcha.
1: So it would have, like, your sports team, like, emblazoned on the side.
0: Uh, maybe. Huh. The problem is none of these inventions took off.
1: Uh, no, this guy literally well he could give his inventions away yeah. <laughs> but like he almost literally couldn't give him give them away he he ended up manufacturing these things and giving them away as like premiums for other stuff like cigarettes and things like that
0: yeah so um he starts a uh, a a tree uh doctor business tupper tree doctors right. that um failed after um the depression people were cutting back on things like tree doctoring <laughs> <laughs> right so he went out of business yeah and uh, in a very fortuitous move, went and worked um, for Viscaloid Plant, which is a division of DuPont, making plastics. Right. And this is where things kind of started taking shape. Uh, yes. For what would to shape. come. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, so basically he gets into plastics. And uh, this town in Massachusetts that he, he ended up in where the Viscaloid Plant was. Yeah, he was all over New England basically growing up. Right. This particular town was kind of like a mad scientist's mecca where like all of this stuff is going on in plastics. Yeah. All these little tiny plastic manufacturing outfits are, you know, start. it's like a startup town for plastics. Yeah. In like the 30s or 40s. Well, because
0: they're like, we have this new thing, like what all can we do with it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and which, by the way, plastic, especially polyethylene, polyethylene was invented by accident in 1898. And by the 40s, they had still kind of, they perfected the polyethylene or it had come out perfect. Yeah. But they hadn't figured out quite how to use it. And Earl Tupper was one of those guys in the 40s on the cutting edge of taking plastics and figuring out how to mold them in the right shape, how to keep them from being oily or sticky or falling apart when they were sitting out in the sunlight or all this stuff. Yeah. This guy's doing all these tests, and he ends up coming up thanks to getting a block of this pure polyethylene from DuPont. The good stuff. The good stuff, (laughs) the uncut stuff. Uh um, And he figures out how to make this bowl A wonderlier bowl is what he calls it.
0: Yeah, and um, Dupont at the time didn't think that they could even mold plastic. Like he was smarter than their guys, right? uh, Because he figured out how to do it, and um, then along with the design, the the patented uh, Tupperware seal that made it so uh, useful and famous. That made the what sound? That made the (laughs) like the burping sound or tooting sound. he originally got that idea for the seal from uh, paint cans, apparently. The fact that you could turn a paint can upside down and it w- wouldn't leak paint out all over the place. And he said, I guess we can do this with food. You know? Yeah. Like, put food in here. It's sealed. Look at the demonstration. It's upside down. I'm shaking it. And there's none of that gravy coming out.
1: What? Right. The gravy's not coming out. I can drop this bowl, and it's not going to break, mm-hmm. um, because everyone knows how clumsy housewives are.
0: Oh, sure. Just uh, breaking a, stuff all over.
1: And the fact that it um, it is that you burp it, right? Yeah. And it makes that sound, and you're um, basically preserving the food for many, many days to come. Sure. Which was huge because a lot of the people who were um, Homemakers in the '40s and '50s, they had lived through the, de- the depression and they remembered exactly what it was like. So preserving food was a big deal. Oh yeah. And so this thing was like, it, it's really easy to take for granted these days, but it was very cutting edge technology.
0: Well, these days they have all the those terrible cheapo. Uh, I was going to say knockoffs, or not knockoffs, or major brands, but you know those little cheap plastic yeah, yeah. containers that are sold. Sure. They're they're not nearly the quality of Tupperware. No,
1: Tupperware started all that.
0: Yeah, yeah. and this stuff is garbage. <laughs> the, the lids don't fit right ever. They break. They don't They do not do anything that Tupperware did. Like, I have a Wonder Bowl from the 1970s. Oh, do you really? That's still, like, perfect. I mean, it's a little worn down, but it still, like, functions perfectly.
1: Right. Well, it's a testament to Tupperware itself. Yeah,
0: and that other garbage, that stuff, like, I don't have anything from last year.
1: Well, it's made... And it was made during a time of much more disposable thinking. Sure. You know? At the time, it was like, we're going to make something that will last forever.
0: Yeah, and I think they still have a lifetime uh, guarantees on everything. Do they really? Yeah, like you could send in a Tupperware piece from the 60s, huh. and they'll, you know, if it's broken and it meets the requirements, like, you know, you didn't smash it with a hammer or something. Um, they can I they a prove new that. one. <laughs> They'll give you, like, uh, credits or the equivalent of what you could get today or something. Huh. It's like, well, you paid 85 cents for that. they like, you're right. Let's see what the
1: West Egg currency calculator has to say about that.
0: So um, he formed Tupper Plastics. Uh, things did not take off, though, um, like he thought they would. He put them in department stores.
1: And hardware stores for some reason. Oh, really? Yeah. Not a good place to sell your Tupperware.
0: Yeah, I mean, nowadays I can see that, but back then... You probably just went to hardware stores for nails and hammers and stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there were home goods and stuff, too. It was probably closer to a general store than the hardware stores today. But Um, even still, they weren't flying off the shelves is the point. they were not.
0: Um, So what he did was there was uh, another timeline going on at the same time. Um, Stanley Home Products was this uh, basically uh, pioneered the non-door-to-door sales in favor of hosting a uh, party, for lack of a better word, in-home demonstrations where you would gather people together. Mm -hmm. And it was a guy named Norman Squires had um, garnered a lot of profits in this kind of sales. And they had working for them a woman named Brownie Wise. right? And she was selling all kinds of stuff for Stanley Home Products. And uh, they called it the Hostess Group Demonstration Plan. And she was a great, great salesperson.
1: Yeah, so these people at Stanley uh, Home Products basically found Tupperware on their own and started selling it at these hostess parties, right? Yeah, she formed her own company
0: called Tupperware Patio Parties. Oh, did she? Yeah.
1: Before she was hired?
0: Before she was hired. Wow. And she was selling so much of it that Earl Tupper got in touch with her and was like, I can't sell this stuff in stores. Like, you're beating... Like department stores in New York City, yeah, sales records.
1: She, and she, yeah, she really was. She had a lot of charm. She had a, um, she figured out that this burp thing, that was so essential and made this product so revolutionary, right? Mm-hmm. That, um, it wasn't like intuitive. You didn't just understand how to work it, and so it yeah. wasn't helping sales. Which and that, again
0: seems weird today, right? <laughs> but back then, you know, people were like, "What is this weird colored thing?"
1: Right, exactly. That supposedly holds food. How does this go together? And they're just banging them (laughs) together in the aisle of a hardware store and then crying. Yeah. Um, She figured out that if you demonstrate this to people, especially in like somebody's house or whatever, and they've had a couple of martinis and there's hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. People are apt to buy these things. And yeah, like you said, she started out selling department stores, hardware stores, obviously. Um, and she got hired on by Earl Tupper.
0: Yeah, she was in Detroit at the time. I and, think
1: um, I think she'd moved down to Orlando when she was hired.
0: Oh, really? By that point,
1: yeah, she was from Buford, Georgia originally.
0: Yeah, she was from rural Georgia and uh, ended up um, being married and divorced, which was pretty unusual at the time. And she was a single mom. Yep, the little Jerry Wise. That's right. Uh, she unfortunately her husband was. A violent drunk
1: I saw that too. So that, that's not us saying that, that's PBS taking the fall for that yeah, one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so she was only married to him for about six years and then uh was basically like, I'm gonna make my own way. Right. She only had an eighth grade education and she was killing it on the sales front.
1: Yeah, she she really was. So Chuck, before we get any further about Brownie Wise. Great name. Awesome name. Yeah. Maybe not a
0: band name, but a great name. The Brown The Brownie Wise would be a good name.
1: Or the the Brownie Wise Massacre. Yeah, sure. Yeah. There you go. Or Brownie Wise Overdrive. <laughs> yeah, both of those. Uh, anyway. Open for one another. I guess the, the point that I'm trying to get to is let's take a break. Okay. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.
0: So Brownie Wise has her uh, Tupperware Patio Parties company outselling stores. She gets hired on. um, They literally divide the company into uh, two sides, the Tupperware Manufacturing. Up in Massachusetts. And then Tupperware Home Parties. Down in Orlando. Down in Orlando. Yeah, where she lives. Basically,
1: Earl Tupper comes to her in 1951 and says, hey, how would you like to be one of like three female high-level executives in the United States, in the world, I would guess. Yeah. And she said, sure, why not? I'll do you a favor. (laughs) And I I said she was a very interesting woman. If I didn't, I did in my head and meant to say it. But she, um, there's apparently a movie coming out about her life starring Sandra Bullock. You did not say that, and I did see that. So there you go.
0: That's I great. couldn't
1: find any information on it except that.
0: I think it's in, uh, in pre uh, production right now. Oh, I see. I think it's going to happen. But um, yeah, I mean, she, she's one of the great uh, woman entrepreneurs that this country's ever
1: seen, the world has ever seen, really. Yeah, because she took this Tupperware, which everyone except the American public agreed was great. Mm-hmm. In 1947, the year that Tupper invented this stuff, Time named it this uh, amazing thing. It won design awards.
0: Yeah, she was on the first woman on the cover of Business Week magazine.
1: Right, right. But even before she came along, everybody, especially in the art world and the design world, um, said this, this this stuff is great, but it was just sitting there languishing. Yeah. And then the Brownie Wise comes along and just turns it into a blockbuster, like turns it into an American iconic brand, which it still is today.
0: Yeah, and what she realized, which is uh – Was a stroke of genius. Was it's the 1950s? The suburbs are happening post World War II in a big way. Um, There's a lot of women that are uh, that are homemakers. Right. That are,
1: uh, I guess we could just say they were bored. (laughs) Yeah. And looking for something to do. Well, plus also uh, they had very. they had very real constrictions on their time. Sure. Where, like, they're basically freedom of movement. They didn't have cars. They didn't have things like this. They didn't have a lot of ways to make money. Yeah. Well, and again, they were out in the
0: suburbs for the first time. It's not like many of these were connected by uh, subway or anything. That was still an inner city deal.
1: Right. So, but rather than view these places as vast, like, wastelands of isolation, Brownie Wise said, no, oh, these are like little tiny social networks where people know and trust one another— and they're bored out of their skulls, and they're looking for ways to make money. Like, so not only do you have a really great market to sell this to, you have a really great workforce that's just sitting there idle. And she said, how would you gals like to sell Tupperware? And they went, let's do this. That's right. And uh,
0: what she did was came up with a system where you could work your way up the chain, um, from sales all the way up well, let's let's just detail it. Okay. Uh, what I'm you are is your uh, consultant at first, which is out there, you know Holding the parties. Hosting these parties. Which
1: we'll talk about everybody's chill out.
0: Yeah. And then <laughs> you can work your way up to manager if you organize a certain number of parties. And then managers uh, were eventually recruiting other women. So if you recruit enough women and increase sales, then you could rise to distributor. And that was the highest level you could attain at that point. Yes. You could be a distributor. You have your own office. You have your network of managers. And then they manage the consultants or the party throwers, right. party hosts. And um, basically, she started her own army of salespeople.
1: Yeah. So, Chuck, right incentivized now.
0: Incentivize salespeople.
1: Right now, there are 2.9 million People in the world selling Tupperware.
0: Every three seconds, there's another Tupperware party.
1: Yeah, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, right? Yeah. So she she put together this workforce, and again, it was um, this guy named Norman Squires who came up with this idea. Sure. That led to um, it being a huge, huge hit for Tupperware, but also later on Avon um, and uh, Mary Kay. Sure. And Pampered Chef, and like all uh, yeah, of these, yeah. all of these brands that like uh, are sold through hostess parties basically get you in our house get you drunk and sell sell you things when your (laughs) resistance is low (laughs) just just leave me a blank check yeah basically but the the it wasn't invented by brownie wise but she definitely perfected it for sure so um she tapped this workforce and one of the ways that she kept people excited and loyal not just the fact that they could rise throughout this hierarchy Um, in the Tupperware industry. Yeah. But there was also, like, this thing that she created called the Jubilee every year down in uh, Orlando. It was a big company party. It was, and they would just pull out all the stops. Like, they would bury fur coats. (laughs) They would bury blenders. One of the buyers once said that he bought a 100,000 blenders once for this Jubilee. Wow! They would just bring all these Tupperware sales associates and just basically throw them a a party for a few days and let them just win free stuff and have a great time. Yeah. And
0: when you say bury, I think we should explain because that sounds really weird. They would bury these prizes and people would go and dig them up. (laughs)
1: Right, it wasn't like, you can't have this, look at what you can't have, we're burying it. It just sounded funny, like, they'd bury fur coats, they'd bury anything that moved. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it was all part of the fun. Apparently they lost a lot of them, too. Oh, did they? Yeah, years later, um, at the the Tupperware headquarters in Orlando, they went to dig a pond, and they found a bunch of the prizes that had never been found. Yeah, some say
0: there's still fur coats buried all over Orlando. Yeah. By the Illuminati. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So... Um, those are the big jubilee parties, the big company parties, great for morale. Yeah. Um, the hostess uh, themselves or the consultants would um, they would make percentage uh, they'd basically make a cut of what they were able to sell as well as get prizes um, yeah. like these really neat prizes and the more parties you hosted, the better the prizes would get. So it's like it, it, it's like the wild West it's the heyday for these women. They're, like, earning their own money for a change. They're getting these great prizes. They're feeling great about themselves. They're not bored any longer. And their husbands are like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, give (laughs) me that money you made.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm the man. And things were so successful with this model that that was their only sales model up until the late 1980s. Right. You couldn't even buy the stuff in stores.
1: No, he just stopped. It wasn't even worth the the money or effort to distribute it to stores. They just... Did it through parties, in-home parties. That's right.
0: Thank you, Brownie Wise. All
1: right. So, um, in like you said, in 1988, they they started selling it through um, catalogs, I guess. Uh yeah, I think like, they um yeah, yeah catalogs. I've seen like older catalogs from like the 50s and 60s, so I don't know what that means. Maybe over the phone.
0: You saw Tupperware one?
1: Yeah. Catalogs? Right? Yeah. It's on our. It's on the podcast page for this episode. There's a link huh. to this kind of design layout, and it has some catalogs. So it must have been, like, ordered by phone.
0: Oh, yeah, maybe so.
1: And then just about 10 years later, in 1999, Tupperware had their first website, which e-commerce in 1999, that was fairly forward-thinking. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. Um,
0: So this caught, like, wildfire. Uh, Today, (laughs) you can—it's not just, like, an American institution. There are Tupperware parties, like we said, at the rate of one every three seconds— in more than 100 countries around the world. I had no idea that Tupperware was that popular in like Asia and India. Oh yeah. And uh, they said half a million, uh, more than half a million every year in France alone.
1: Yeah, 91% of Tupperware sales are outside of the US these days. Crazy. Yeah, and it's a. I mean, like it's got it's moving like gangbusters. Last I saw, it was trading at like sixty three dollars a share, oh, yeah? which was down from like a hundred in December, maybe. Oh wow! Um, like it's it's a really set company again these days. Like it's been able to just be on the brink of utter irrelevance when it finds a new market. Yeah. When it figures out a new way to to sell, when it figures out a new product, like currently right now in China. Um, the Tupperware is making tons of cash selling a $1,000 water filter. And they're doing it by traveling from town to town and setting up these in-home demonstrations or public demonstrations yeah. and showing how to do it. So they're, like, taking the Tupperware model that Brownie Wise, like, really perfected right. and, and figuring out how it best works in cultures around the world.
0: Yeah, I know they make um also, like, uh, depending on your country and what they eat, like, certain shaped... um. Containers.
1: Right, like round bread containers for Naan in India. Yeah. How about that? So, what happened to Brownie Wise? I guess she retired, was thanked, carried out on everyone's shoulders, and lived a great, fulfilled life until her death, right?
0: Well, we're going to tell you right after this break.
1: Oh,
2: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: All right, Josh, let's fast forward to 1958. Um, The Tupperware business is booming. Uh, Brownie Wise is a bit of a celebrity. The
1: twist is going like gangbusters. (laughs) Was it? Probably. Okay. People are still twisting the night away? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was that, like 1955 it probably started? Three years, sure. There were some squares still twisting. Yeah. They weren't doing the
0: mashed potato yet.
1: No, I think that was a little later. Okay.
0: Um, So business is booming. Brownie Wise is killing it. She's a celebrity. Earl Tupper um, starts to get a little jealous over the years.
1: It's as simple as that.
0: Yeah. As much as he, like, didn't seek or want the limelight, he was still jealous that Brownie Wise, uh, people thought that she was Tupperware. And that she started the company um, so, and started and, selling. Like I can sell anything like this.
1: Uh, so she didn't say that. Well, no. Other S- people some didn't. in the media said she could. She could have done this with any brand. She's that great. Yeah. Well, she could. And have. Earl Tupper <laughs> wanted to be like. Well, no. I mean, my product that I invented is you know a big part of this, if not the thing. I'm but, Earl Tupper. Right. So he um, he apparently also she stopped kind of kowtowing to him quite as much. Yeah. Um, but it got he, on
0: great for a while.
1: Yeah, and again, he had said to their PR department and to any media interviewer, like, yes, this lady is the face of Tupperware. Treat her as such, promote her as such, and he just, like you said, ended up getting jealous. Yeah. Didn't like that she wasn't kowtowing to him any longer, and in 1958 said, you're fired.
0: Yeah, he. Th- the story I read was that he wanted to sell the company and cash in, and that he didn't think— mm-hmm and was advised that it would be really hard to sell a company with a woman in such a prominent position on the board. Oh yeah. And so he uh like you said just unceremoniously got rid of her, gave her a one year salary, which is like 30 35 grand,
1: zero stock. Yeah,
0: she never had stock in this company that stock. she
1: had built pr- almost from the ground up.
0: Yeah, or helped build at least. Mm-hmm. And um I got to say that was her, you know, that was her mistake. She should have gotten some stock along the way. Yeah, I guess so. You know,
1: she was too busy selling and yeah, I mean,
0: and exactly, she was. I imagine thirty-five grand a year was a pretty good salary at the point uh, in nineteen fifty-eight. If know? you want
1: me to look it up? I will. <laughs> you can. Okay.
0: So she got that small payout. She went, um, and what he said to her was, is that there were some accounting errors in the previous year. She wouldn't come to Massachusetts to talk to him about it, and sort of dug in. Says that she said that she had gotten sick or injured and couldn't leave Florida. He finally went down to Florida um, and basically said that, you know, these jubilees are too expensive. The landscaping you've done here in Florida, uh, the company headquarters is too expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, You're spending too much money on clothes. uh, And we own all that stuff. We own all your clothing. (laughs) What? Uh, Well, I mean, I don't know if he actually took it, but he basically was like, you know, she paid for all that stuff through the company. I gotcha. As she should have, you know, to keep up appearances. Sure. But... um. Yeah, that was it for her. She started a small company called Cinderella Cosmetics that folded after a year and sort of uh, faded into obscurity, sadly.
1: So then um, Earl Tupper uh, sold out mm-hmm. the, that, n- the next year, I think. $16 million? Yeah, he sells out for $16 million. Nice cash. To Rexall Drug Company, yeah. uh, which was eventually absorbed by Kraft, who apparently now owns Tupperware. Oh, they do? I think. Maybe it's the parent company. Probably. Um and uh, yeah, 16 million in 1958. It's not too bad for a boy who couldn't get his parents to build a playground on the family pick your own whatever farm.
0: Sure. Did you uh, find out if she with 35 grand was a good salary?
1: Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was like uh 200 and uh, I think $32,000 back then. Oh, well, yeah, that's good. It's not bad. I mean, especially for a again, for a, woman a female at the time, yeah. executive, yeah. Um but he sold the whole thing for $16 million, gave her one-year salary, f- moved to Costa Rica, bought an island, yeah. renounced his U.S. citizenship so he didn't have to pay any taxes on it. Yeah,
0: that. got divorced
1: Yeah. before a- all that. Right, and uh, said, sayonara, everybody. I'm going to Costa Rica to buy an island and keep a notepad in my pocket so anytime an idea for a new invention hits, I'll have it. Yeah. And just like probably, you know, eight pineapples on his island.
0: Yeah, he died in 1983 in Costa Rica at uh, 76, and she died in 1992. And um, Tupperware has not gone out of fashion. It's uh, It's been featured uh, starting in, what year was it? I guess when they first came out at the yeah. Museum of Modern Art. Yeah. And then again in 2011. I think I even saw this exhibit. In fact, I'm almost positive I did because it was about just uh, industrial design and yeah. things. Right. And there's Tupperware all over again. Because of its gorgeous of course now, you know, that fifties era it's retro beautiful. design. So there's highly sought like, after.
1: The original line that Tupper um released is called the Millionaire line. And it came in six colors five pastels and one white, right? Yellow, blue, green, orange, and pink. And they're really pretty. Like if you look at a set of these things in oh, yeah. good good condition, they're gorgeous.
0: He went on to the Plastics Hall of Fame. Yep. Um and now like uh this stuff from the 50s and 60s you can get some decent money on eBay for that stuff. Yep. If, you know? Because it still works and
1: people love that retro look. Did you know that he uh refused refused to have any um any pet bowls designed? He thought it was Tupperware was too good for pets to eat out of. What a jerk.
0: <laughs> See, I was all on board until that. Actually, I wasn't on board. I was off board when I found out that he fired Brownie Wise. Yeah, he and then was like, "Okay, I've got some money. See you
1: later, family. Yeah, I'm moving I'm to, to, to Costa Rica."
0: <laughs> Would you you'd be funny if he went down and started a cult with the slinky guy? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so Tupperware stayed pretty much the same until uh, 1990, when they um, a designer named Morrison Cousins uh, basically kind of redesigned for for the new era.
1: Yeah, he he was. Um already a VP I guess at Tupperware and he was he decided that it was a little difficult he had a 82 or 81 year old mother at the time 87 year old mother at the time yeah uh, when he was charged with redesigning the Tupperware line and um, he from that viewpoint he redesigned it to make it easier for um, the aged to use right so like that burping lid that you had to like really kind of have some decent hand strength to put on sure he figured out a way around it by um, using flaps that opened and closed yeah to release the air Mm -hmm. didn't require quite as much hand strength Um, the lids were made in contrasting colors to the bowls so if you had uh, low visibility Mm -hmm. low vision yeah not visibility that's totally different yeah (laughs) If you were wearing all camouflage at the time, right. you'd be able to find the lid and the bowl that go together pretty easy. Yeah, so he yeah, he made them easier for old folks. Yep, and he was the guy who um, brought it online. He did a lot of good stuff apparently with it. Um, he also took the brand. Yeah. I thought this was cool, and I would love to see this on video because I'll bet it's just so bizarre and surreal to watch. They broadcast a series of live Tupperware parties on some home shopping channel in the early 90s. That was
0: probably the first home shopping experience. Don't you imagine? No, I think
1: those were around in the 80s. I think home shopping was already established. Oh, no. When did they do this? Early 90s. Oh,
0: I thought you said he did it like in the 60s. No, no, no. Gotcha.
1: No. We should do one on home shopping. I'll bet that has an interesting, weird history. Eh, you think? I'll look into it. I'll let you know. (laughs)
0: Okay. Okay. My mom's into it, man. QVC. So did we talk
1: about how to throw a Tupperware party? Yeah. We did. We sure did. No, okay. Did we talk about Tupperware drag parties? We did not. We should.
0: Yeah, because... uh,
1: There's more than one.
0: Yeah, there's... uh, Well, there's one person in particular, a guy named uh, Chris Anderson, who performs in drag as Dixie Longgate and um, sells like a, a million dollars worth of Tupperware in the process like he gets paid to perform like you got to pay 40 bucks just to a person right just to uh have I guess he still does house parties but he literally does like tours and does like off-Broadway shows and stuff now
1: right but the whole thing is is i it's mean Tupperware it's a based. real Tupperware <laughs> party where yeah. like you can buy Tupperware and like he's demonstrating the Tupperware and he's kind of giving his own take on what it's useful for but he's not the only um drag show in the country selling Tupperware of course not apparently uh, a, a drag queen named Aunt Barbara up in Long Island is was at least in two thousand twelve the number one salesperson in North America for Tupperware.
0: It all makes sense when you think about it.
1: Sold two hundred and fifty grand worth of Tupperware in, in
0: one year. Like the, the kitsch of the drag show, the kitsch of Tupperware parties, it all sort of goes hand in hand. Yes, it does. And um, I went to the website of Dixie Longate, and he has a pretty uh, interesting um, bio. I have three kids, Winona, Dwayne, and Absorbine Jr. <laughs> it's all made up, I think.
1: I think maybe. Although you never know. No.
0: But, uh, yeah, now he has solo stand-up shows um, and a recent theatrical show called Never Wear a Tube Top While Riding a Mechanical Bull and 16 Other Things I Learned While I Was Drinking Last Thursday. <laughs> and apparently that is selling out uh, venues. That's uh, basically That's like- selling out venues. We're not, but
1: that is. Don't be bitter. We will one day. If we did it in drag, we'd probably... Well, no, that's not true either. No. One day, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, wow, that was a weird way to end this. No, yeah, I think it was perfect. Um, I thought I had something else, but I guess I don't. Oh, yes, I do. PBS did a great documentary called Tupperware with an exclamation point. Oh, yeah? And it's got a whole website on online, and you can watch parts of the documentary, if not the whole thing.
0: Yeah, and look for uh, the Sandra Bullock, the Brownie Wise story. Coming to a theater near you in a couple of years. <laughs> nice job.
1: You said a theater good. near you. A theater? You just said coming to a theater near you. Yeah. That's like, wow. Did you ever think you would grow up to say that, like, in public? <laughs> sure. Oh, okay. Well, if you want to know more about Tupperware, you can type that one word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, since I said search bar, it's time for Listener Mail.
0: I call this the Streisand effect. You ever heard of this? No. Uh, hello, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. Really enjoyed the podcast on internet censorship, although I was disturbed uh, that SOP 303 exists. Sure. Uh, one thing not mentioned that I thought was relevant is when individuals attempt to censor specific things from their own life and the resulting fallout that occurs. Uh, in 2003, and I remember this happening actually, a picture of Barbara Streisand's home in Malibu appeared in a publicly available collection of over 12,000 photos of California coastline. Uh, The collection was documenting coastal erosion and not related to news, paparazzi, or tabloids or anything like that. But Streisand's lawyers filed a $50 million lawsuit against the photographer asking the picture be taken down for privacy reasons. Uh, Before stories of the lawsuit hit the press, the photo of the home had only been downloaded six times, two of which were by her attorney's. During the following month, after the whole thing became a news story, more than 400,000 people visited the website. Uh, they even coined the term the Streisand effect, where wow. an, an attempt to...
1: They really got out of hand for her. Yeah, it did.
0: I remember this blew up in her face. Uh, an attempt at censoring or removing something from the internet results in said thing being seen and reported on much more than if the person requesting it be removed had simply let it fade into obscurity. Thanks for the podcast. Uh, also, possibly a shout out to my wife, Emily who is nearly as addicted to stuff you should know as I am. Nearly. And that is from uh, Brenton Krause in uh, mid-Hudson Valley, New York, USA. So, Emily, and uh, get on it so you're equally as addicted. And thank you,
1: Brenton, for being fully addicted. <laughs> yeah, to the brim. I guess. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and talk to us about Tupperware or um, whatever, you can... Tweet to us, right? Mm Mm-hmm. At S-Y-S-K podcast. Yeah. Josh
0: is manning that station.
1: You can go on to our awesome Facebook page, courtesy of Chuckers. I'm in that station. Facebook.com slash stuffyoushouldknow. You can send us an email. We both get those. Yeah. They come direct to us. They sure do. To uh, stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And hang out with us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
2: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Twenty to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through.